This is a GK Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to Business Bites here on Gary Talks, where for this season I am speaking to international entrepreneurs and leaders. And this week I'm delighted to be joined on the show by Neil Mackay. Neil, thanks for joining us on Gary Talks this week. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, people might cop straight away that you have a Scottish background. <laughs> you're, you're from Glasgow originally. I am originally, but it's funny, you know, some people tell me, oh, you, you don't have a very strong Scottish accent. And then literally the next person I talk to will be like, oh my God, your accent is so strong. It's so funny. So, it's, But you can tell if somebody's been to Scotland and they've met Scottish people, they, they can tell that I have quite a soft Scottish accent. If they've never been to Scotland, they think I have the most outrageously ridiculous strong Scottish accent. I was in Edinburgh back in February, which was the first time ever that I went to Scotland and shame on me because I fell in love with what was a limited part of the country that I saw. But you don't get as many strong Scottish accents in Edinburgh because there's people from all over the world living there now. So I think Glasgow is the real true heart of a town to go to. <laughs> You could call it that. That would that would be one way to describe Glasgow. <laughs> Edinburgh definitely they they're, they're much posher, I guess you could say. They have they definitely have like a nicer accent. And Edinburgh, it's a wee bit more singy songy. They they talk a wee bit more like that. And on the on the east coast, it's a wee bit nicer like this. And we'll go up. Whereas Glasgow is just rough and it's <laughs> just like I remember when I lived in Australia, the friend from Glasgow that I met there, and I introduced her to a bunch of friends, and she walked up to them and she went, "My name's Zara. What's your name?" And my friend was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry, that, that's her just introducing herself. She's been completely, like, friendly right now. And even I was shocked at the aggressiveness of how she said that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But you left Scotland and you started this amazing journey traveling to some of the big countries around the world and the challenges, I suppose, that you faced along the way. Was it America you first ventured off to? Mm. Yeah, I left. I, between my last years of university, I went to do the whole summer camp. And maybe, maybe many, many people know Camp America. And so I went over and, and did that. And it was just meant to be one summer. And that turned into five summers, five years. I absolutely loved it there. You know, I, I thought I would live in America for the rest of my life. Just absolutely loved the country. Loved the people. I think Americans get a bad rap. But when you're in the country, they are just the nicest, most generous people you can ever meet. Hmm. I think they don't travel well because not many of them travel. So when they do leave the country, like people have a, a, a certain opinion of Americans. But when you're in, in the country, they're just amazing. Then from there, I went to Australia because I, I couldn't stay in the country any longer. You know, it's difficult to get a visa and whatnot. So I went to Australia for a year and then that turned into four during that time, I met my wife and we moved to New Zealand. She's from America, coincidentally. We moved to New Zealand and we were only going to go there for a year and that turned into nearly four years. And then we came to Vietnam and that was only going to be a year as well, traveling around Southeast Asia. And that's now been seven years, nearly a decade that we've been in Vietnam, which is just, <laughs> just blows my mind. What were you looking for during all those adventures? That's a great question. Really good question. I think I've never really been a big long-term planner. So I'm just, it sounds so kind of cliched. I don't know if it does sound cliche, but to be happy in the moment. I mean, so my goal in life has always been to be happy. I've never had many big goals about making X amount of money, which has changed now as I've gotten older, but I've never had big 
I've never had materialistic goals. So it was always like, am I happy doing what I'm doing? Am I enjoying it? And that's why it was always going somewhere for a short, te- a short time. So I went to America for one summer. Absolutely loved it. Changed my life. Opened my eyes to a broader world after being from Glasgow and, you know, having the same group of friends who I'm still friends with, but having the same group of friends, doing the same things, going to see the same bands, same football team, same pubs. Suddenly, like the world opened up and then going to Australia again was just meant to go for one year traveling. And I didn't actually have any plan more than a year. was hoping to stay for two years because you can get a second year visa extended. Then moved to New Zealand again, more just for a visa. A lot of the time, it's just following the visas. So, but at the time, I was under thirty years old, and you could still get a working holiday visa. So, the theme here is I didn't want to return to Scotland. I guess that's really the, when I think about it is the goal. I don't like the weather in Scotland at all. We <laughs> talked about it earlier: the yeah. miserable, rainy weather. I think that in turn influences the people and the atmosphere and the media. Everything's like negative and downcast. And then you go to America, and it's just a completely different vibe you know everyone's positive and upbeat and excited and um it's just a completely different environment and you go to australia and they're they're pretty much similar to americans but they got the british sentimentality as well so australia was amazing and then new zealand is a different beast in itself but again an amazing country so it was always i guess following the visa but Mm. it always went from one year to four years and then we came to southeast asia just to travel and then go back to New Zealand and yeah we've just never left because we love it here too so I guess it's just always being being where you're happy. The story that stood out for me which I could certainly relate to was at one stage in your career you were down to 20 cent in your bank account in Australia and I remember years ago I would have been in my maybe mid-20s and I was trying to form a career in the film industry and I was at all the big festivals Cannes, berlin loving life living life to the full and i was sitting in a pub in galway on like a tuesday afternoon rainy day outside front of the fire having a pint no major responsibilities in life and i remember i went up to the atm to get money for another drink because i had no cash in my wallet and i had 30 quid left in my bank account which i know is a bit more than 20 cent but it was a a massive shock and wake-up call for me and i remember promising myself that i would never allow myself to get into that situation again so what happened to you that the account diminished got that bad yeah (laughs) So what I started doing in Australia was face-to-face fundraising. So you know the guys that stand on the street with the the clipboards and they ask you to join up for the charity. And it's something that I never in one million years thought I would ever, ever do. I hated those people. When I walked by the street, I gave them looks of disgust. I couldn't stand them. But uh, I was at that stage in my life and I'd always always wanted to help and make a difference. And I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't, um, you know, a nurse or anything like that. But I wanted to do whatever I could. And, you know, I had a bit of a personality and I could talk. And I actually met these girls while I was traveling in Australia who were English. And they'd done the face-to-face fundraising in the UK. And they were just telling me how amazing it was and how rewarding it was. And, And then coincidentally, I went for a job interview that was advertised as a marketing job. And then you go for it. And you realize it's marketing charities on the street. So it's face-to-face fundraising, essentially. So, um, But instantly, I was like, oh, this is actually like sounds really cool. This is what I wanted to do. Hated it. Wanted to quit immediately. But I, for some reason, I just stuck at it. And it, the thing was, it was 100% commission. So if you didn't sign anyone up, 
you made no money. So some days you would make no money. Some days you would make decent money. And I don't know why I stuck at it, but I stuck at it and ended up becoming pretty good at it. And what sort of commission did you get from someone signing up then? So the minimum would have been $20 and the maximum would have been $80. And wow. you'd maybe get, you'd be, you'd be doing well if you got three a day, you'd, you'd be doing okay. Four a day, you'd be doing really good, really well. On average, if you average it out, because it's, it's a sales job. So some days you might get two and other days you might get five, you know. And you hated it because you were just being ghosted by people on the street that you were trying to stop, is it? So I don't think I ever hated it. Did I say hated it? I don't think I ever hated it. Like I really, from the beginning, I was like, right, I'm going to give this a go. Um, what I learned the most that still stands me in good stead to this day was about having like a positive attitude because I realized coming into this marketing company when everyone was like gung-ho and there's morning meetings to get you all jazzed up and you know, it was almost like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. It's, it's kind of ridiculous, but also amazing at the same time. And realize that, you know, you can't come in with your problems. You can't come in and be like, oh, I had an argument with my girlfriend last night because then the person would be like, no, no, we don't talk about this here. Like, that's not, you know, because it's all about positive energy and positive atmosphere. And started to realize that when I took away those negative thoughts and really focused my mind on being positive, on being solution focused, the results came from that. And so started to follow what I was being trained on. I started following like Tony Robbins, following kind of just stuff about, you know, your mind can control what you want to do kind of. And I, I've gone a bit back and forth in that, but I do really believe in goal setting. Like goal setting for me was what changed everything and, and finding a goal that I wanted to achieve because I'm not, as I said, materialistic. So I worked with some people, even though it was charity, some people did it for the money. I did it for the charity. Like when I looked at how much I earned, I would also equate that to how much I raised for charity. So, well, I'd be like, yeah, I got an $80 commission. I would also be like, that's $2,000 for charity because the average person would join up for five years and blah, blah, blah. So you could work it out how much you were raising for charity. So for my team, I would be like, we've raised, you know, $10,000 this week and nobody else really did that. And just staying with that for a second, what did you learn as the right sales tactic when starting a conversation with someone on the street? Just comedy humor. So I'm also, I'm now a stand-up comedian as well. And I didn't realize that for four years I was doing stand-up comedy every day on the street and making people laugh. So, so when you said about getting people ghosting you, like that's again something you just get over that really quickly because you're doing it all day. I think I figured out at one point I was like either talking to or walking past like 10,000 people a year were going past me. And so you realize like they don't care about you. They walk, they take two steps and they've forgotten you. They don't even know what you look like. You don't know what they look like. It just becomes like your own little arena. So that that whole thing that everybody has, like, oh, I must feel terrible. And sometimes it does, you know, sometimes when you're having a bad day and you haven't signed anyone up, you feel like everyone that walks by you is giving you daggers. But then on the flip side, when you're like on the top of your game and everyone's talking to you and you're getting loads of sales, you start to you feel that you can control your environment like so i started to get to the point where i could go away if i was having a bad day and reset myself and be like right i'd put on my favorite song remind myself why i was out there and come back and you suddenly have this energy around you and suddenly people start coming towards you i can't explain it because i'm not a massive believer in things like the secret or manifestation that's what i'm looking for but i actually 100 percent know that it works but I don't think it's something like metaphysical or spiritual. I just think it's what you you get yourself in that situation. So suddenly you have a smile on your face. Suddenly you've got a little bit of an extra glint in your eye that's going to make somebody want to stop and talk to you. 
And so learning to control all of that, because you go up and down through the day and through the week. But that's a long way to answer your question about how did I end up with no money was because I actually, would you believe this? I lost my voice because I was doing this for so long, for so many years and every day. And I was doing it on the busy streets of Melbourne. I was doing it in train stations. So I was always having to raise my voice. And I didn't realize this at the time I found out after because I went to a speech therapist. But basically your vocal cords like vibrate, like ours are, mine are vibrating right now. That's how we produce sound. But I was talking so much and so loudly over all this traffic that they developed calluses on the the bands, on the, the literally like rubber bands. And they had calluses on them. And that affected, I couldn't speak, so I would lose my voice. I would become, I mean, literally like lose my voice. And I had a team of about 10 people who I had to lead. I had to go out on the street. My whole job was talking to people on 100% commission. And so that kind of obviously affected my income. And I think that was the biggest contribution. I remember it was the day before payday. So I was getting paid the next day. So I don't remember. I wasn't like, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the world. But I do have a screenshot of it. I do remember being like, this is absolutely shocking. Like, I have 20 cents in my bank account right now. Mm. Wow. And then you you went on to do something that was very commendable. And that was when you moved to Vietnam, where you've been living now for seven years, you started building a school for children. Yeah. So my career continued in fundraising. So I'd been doing that on the street for, for years. But then like it's such an intense job, I did get burnt out by the end of it. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. But I still wanted to work for charity. So I wanted to move into the kind of behind the scenes. And so thankfully in New Zealand, I continued that career working for some amazing charities there, like helping write the fundraising letters, doing corporate fundraising, community fundraising. So you got a salary and it was less intense than coming in every day, knowing that you had to give 120% just to be able to pay the rent and and eat that week. Then. But it's so rewarding as well. Then we came to Vietnam and we ended up teaching English here, which was just going to be a short term kind of job and then go back to fundraising in New Zealand, which my wife also did as well. And thankfully, a job became available here with the, te- with the school that we worked for. So it's uh, I don't know, you know the phrase like corporate social responsibility. So yeah. it, it wasn't a charity, but it was their CSR department. So they had a kind of charity department is the way I would explain it to people. And that was to give education to underprivileged children in Vietnam. So that was just like a dream job. So we were helping with volunteer teachers. We were raising money. I was doing events because I really loved like a lot of what I do is events. And um, so we're doing a lot of events to raise money and we raised, I think it was $60,000, $72,000. I forget the exact number, $72,000, I think it was, in the first year to build a school in a place called the Mekong Delta for underprivileged kids. And that was just the, the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. We went down there, we saw the school before it was knocked down. There was holes in the, the roof, holes in the ceiling. The tiles were all cracked. There was mold on the walls. It was just like absolutely disgusting. We heard stories from the children about the wind and the rain coming through and how how difficult it was to learn. And so we went down three times. We went down in the middle when they'd knocked it down. And then we went down at the end. And it felt like cheating a little bit because we got to do some painting on the last day and we got pictures and it made it look like, you know, (laughs) we were... We obviously helped a little bit, but we were just putting the, a bit, a little bit of gloss on the, on the end. It was for we took down part of it was we had some major donors, and so that was part of it. Like if you were yeah. one of the major donors, you get to come down on the last day and meet all the children. We had a plaque unveiled and all of this stuff. So, but that was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And we were 
into the campaigning for the second year. We were going to build another school. It was going to be a yearly thing. You know, we raise all this money. We build a school. We're going to travel around the country. Um, and then COVID hit and changed everybody's lives. And what happened then with those plans? Well, so because it was a, a English language school that I was working at, the borders in Vietnam closed. And so that meant that they couldn't bring in any more teachers. And most of the lessons went online, which you know nobody really wanted to learn online. And this mm-hmm. isn't government school. It's not public school. These are extracurricular activities after school. So parents could easily pull the children out of the classes, stop paying for them because they're like, well, we don't want to pay for online English classes, even though they were really good. They're never as good as obviously being in the classroom. You know, 19 children on a Zoom call learning English is obviously not going to be the same. So a combination of dropping student numbers and not being able to bring new teachers in because it was impossible. In Vietnam, had some of the strictest laws in the world, so they just literally could not bring in new teachers. So they kind of ended up just pausing the whole charity department. They only just restarted it like a few months, a couple of months ago. So it's been like three years of basically out of commission. So part of that was, you know, these sliding doors moments. They were like, well, look, you we, we, you can come back as a full-time teacher, a part-time teacher, or we can put you on the management track. But during that time, I'd started my own podcast called A Vietnam Podcast. And that had gone, gotten quite popular in Vietnam, got listeners all around the world. And I've been learning new skills. I was also a stand-up comedian. I've been running comedy shows. And so again, sliding doors moment was like, okay, well, I've lost my job. Why don't we take the business full time? And my wife and I had always been talking for years, like we'd love to run our own business, but we never really knew what, you know, we didn't, yeah. we didn't have like any, any strong hobbies that, at the time when we talked about it, like let's turn this into a business. And we'd always kind of talked about it. Oh, I'd be so good if we had our own business. And so now was kind of the opportunity. So I started 7 million bikes, which encompassed podcasts and comedy and events. And I can talk more about why that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Because you're you're down to 19 cents in the bank account now, is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I nearly got that bad as well, actually. Yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't for my wife, I would probably have 19 cents in the bank account. <laughs> yeah, because essentially you started up then an entertainment company. That's exactly what it was. And even that took a while to figure out what the, the business was. I, I did like a business development course with somebody here during lockdown, trying to figure out how I could tie all this together. Because I was doing stand-up comedy shows and we'd been working with a hard rock cafe and been having shows with like 150 people, which was unheard of here in Saigon for local comedy because there was no no international comedians could come in. It was just local comics. So even maybe long term was thinking about opening a comedy club here because there's no comedy club in Saigon. So we were having to do gigs in bars and they weren't always ideal. So one of the kind of long, long term goals was like maybe we could open our own comedy club here with you know dedicated space and then we could have a podcast studio in the back we could record podcasts there rent it out so all of these conversations were kind of happening with my wife and i because it's we're very much in it together and then just lockdown just was like literally one step forward two steps back with everything um so we kept vietnam kind of went in and out of lockdown so we couldn't we couldn't do events and then we went into a really really strict lockdown for about five months where we couldn't even leave the apartment and then right before that lockdown, I was about to sign my biggest contract with a school to do events and provide them with advice, with consultations on building community and helping them do charity work. So that kind of was not really initially part of the business, but they approached me and then they found out I did events and they, they were going to hire me to basically do events that help the community. And it was 
about to be signed off by the principal. It was really good money. And then we went into lockdown. And even this is what I'm talking about, one step forward, two steps back. I hadn't registered the company yet because I was like, right, I'll wait until somebody needs you know, official documentation, an invoice. And then when that happens, I had it all ready to go, but it was mm. going to cost, it was going to cost about a thousand pounds if I do the translation in my head, about a thousand pounds. So I was like, well, well, wait till somebody asks for it. Then this got this big contract. They asked, I was like, I assume you need an invoice. They're like, yeah, of course we do. I was like, no problem. Called the accountant. I was like, right, let's get it going. Paid the money, and then we went into a massive lockdown. And the business didn't even get registered for about three months because all government offices were closed. So I was out of pocket, a thousand pounds. No money came in. Then I started doing online events with some businesses and schools here. So I was doing online comedy shows. I'd come, I'd comedians from around the world performing. I was doing quiz nights every Tuesday night, and I was starting to make like a little bit of money, not much, but I was. I went from making zero money to a little bit of money. And again, I cannot thank my wife enough like if it wasn't for my wife none of this would happen she was keeping us going this whole time and just a hundred percent support of of what i was doing but i finally started to get some traction make some money companies were finding out about me running these online events they wanted to hire me to you know for to keep their staff engaged and things like this and then out of nowhere the vietnamese government ended the lockdown without warning so nobody wanted to be online yeah. but all the bars and restaurants were still closed so we couldn't do events in person so for about six months after lockdown, I was I was absolutely wiped out. I was in total limbo. I couldn't do events online and nobody wanted to do events in person. And so it was round about this time or over those next kind of six months, I decided um, to stop doing events <laughs> and comedy and, and focus on podcasts because I was like, this is pandemic proof. And in actual fact, like if we had another pandemic, my business would probably go through the roof. And I know that did happen for some people. The pandemic was really good for business. So part of that thinking was if, and hopefully that never happens, touch wood, but if we go into another pandemic, the uh, the comedy and events business would disappear overnight and could take a year to come back. With podcasts, I can do that from anywhere in the world as well. So it was during kind of that time that I refocused the business and it, I've had to, it's taken a while, but now I literally only do podcasts and the business. I've just seen the difference. What's been the most exciting is as I've peeled back all that other stuff, the podcasting business has just gone through the roof. And this month I've just already, I'm about to, this is going to be my most successful month ever in terms of income and business and even yesterday, I picked up three new clients, I think five new clients this week alone, and everything is now coming to fruition from all that hard work and all those hard times. And now I can see the future and start to make long-term goals and long-term planning. That's that's brilliant. And it really is the journey of an entrepreneur because you don't just come up with an idea, execute it, and then success. It's it's trying things, failure, learning from that, trying something completely different, maybe failing, learning from that. And it's all the different things that one tries, all the different failures that we bear witness to that build up our deck of cards so we then are able to later in life be resilient and build a strong house of cards. And it's constantly adapting to whether it's internal issues or external issues. And even, I think, there's no harm for people to think, is there something I can do in my life or my career to kind of pandemic proof myself as well? If this COVID-20 comes around in a couple of years or something like that. And even just to keep going, because 
you know, when you stick to something, you keep going, word of mouth happens. And then slowly, it's never an overnight success, slowly things start coming <laughs> to fruition. We, I was just talking about this yesterday with one of my, my clients I'm working with. And I love that kind of phrase that it, it can take you 10 years to be an overnight success. And then in terms of income, is it that these clients are paying you money to be sponsors on the show or and to get call outs or how does it work? So I realized during all this time, and I, I love what you say, it is always about adapting and figuring out what's working and what doesn't. And I wish you, you did just have this idea and it just immediately worked, right? But any any entrepreneur, Richard Branson, anyone you talk, you, you read about or learn about, like they went through so many. There's no successful and i'm not successful yet but i i want to be and i have a really good feeling that i know i will be now because of what i've gone through but any successful person you look at they they never did it overnight it took so many failures and so what i realized was during this time and you might know this yourself it's really really difficult almost impossible to make money from your own podcast it's difficult to get sponsors. Um, you've got to get. You've got to be in the top one percent of podcasts, which is ridiculous mm. high, but ridiculously high barrier. You've got to be in the top one to five percent of podcasts in the world before you can attract sponsors. Before you can start to make money, and so realizing that and how difficult that would be for me to monetize my podcast, which at the time was a Vietnam podcast. I was like, well, I could try and get tourism companies for sponsorship. I could do this and that, and you know, I could maybe do it because I'm. I'm with my fundraising background, I'm used to asking for sponsorship and things like that. But what I realized was the quickest and the easiest way to make money would be to make podcasts for other people. Very good. So so now what I do is I edit and produce podcasts for other people. And like you said, it's just kind of word of mouth now. Like it just kind of seems to have hit some like turning point in this. I've been doing a lot of work online just present online and giving advice and being there and it seems now my name's gotten known within certain circles so now i'm getting emails and and whatsapp messages like almost on a daily basis and then a nice little thing that's come of it because i use a program i don't know if you use descript or you know of descript Mm. so i've been using that for years now and i didn't realize that i'd become a bit of an expert in using it and so i've been helping out people giving some advice and now all of a sudden in the last two or three weeks i'm getting people paying me to do coaching calls with them. And I do one hour coaching calls online with them, you know, sharing screens. And I'm just like, this wasn't even part of my business plan. And now I've made so much income in the last two weeks just from people wanting coaching calls. But then what I'm the, the what the plan is and what I have been doing is turning those coaching calls into clients. So what's now happening is I'll coach them for an hour and they'll be like, wow, I was looking at a I've been watching YouTube videos for seven hours and you've just told me in an hour what I need to do. And then they realize how long it takes to edit a podcast and they'll yep. come back to me and be like, can you just do this for me? Because like you've taught me how to do it and it's still going to take me so long. And I'll be like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm here. So I'm now building a team. I've got a content writer. She does my blog posts for my website because I couldn't, I didn't have the time to do that. I now have, a, I've had an extra editor and she does editing as well with me. And then the, by the end of the year, I want to hire a second editor as well. And then next year, the big plan, and I've already started to have conversations, is to look for external funding to then go to the next level. And within five years, I want to have a million dollars of, of income. Not profit, but like a million dollars of income per year. I love it. I think there's so much people can take from your story. And it, I, it's a real story. So thank you so much, Neil. 
for joining me today on Gary Talk. And if people want to check out Neil's podcast, Smarter Podcasting is the name of the podcast where you can get all the tips and tricks if you yourself are looking to get involved in podcasting. Thanks again, Neil. Have a great day. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you.